Hello, my name is Kevin Shields and welcome to the Cracked Real Podcast, episode 15. I've already made it this many episodes and it's taken me way longer to get here than I was actually expecting to. I released an episode there a couple of weeks ago um, when I was sick as fuck as well, so I had to cut out loads of coughing, which hopefully I won't have to do this time. I'm not sick anymore, but I mean, I always sound like I'm fucking stuffy nose and whatever else, but there won't be any coughing during this, hopefully. Um... It does happen when I talk too long though. And that's every fucking episode if you've seen the length of these fucking eggs. Um, but yeah, I've, I've been meaning to get around to doing another episode. There was a time, I think it was last week, I was thinking of doing it. But I thought I hadn't really seen a lot. And I wasn't really focusing on what was going on in the industry and whatever else. Because it's, it's kind of been at a standstill, really. But this week there's been some fucking huge stuff. I have a few things I want to talk about actually. But I, I might split this over maybe two episodes. Because... There's an episode coming out, or I say that, there. I'm going to record an episode maybe on uh, Bank Holiday Monday, which will be out for Tuesday, or I might record it Sunday, it'll be this weekend anyway, so there'll be two episodes to talk about everything, because I want to try to keep them a little bit more brief. Um, while I enjoy talking shite for ages, I mean, fucking two and a half hours can be a bit daunting uh, a lot of the time. I mean, generally I don't really give a fuck, but it's also a pain in the ass to actually put together, because sometimes I have to go to and trim out the the silences and whatever because there's been times where i think i mentioned this in some of the early ones where i'd forget the name of something and i've got a principle that i want to remember it well most of the time anyway i think 60 percent of the time i want to remember it myself and not google it or go on indv so i might actually be sitting here for a full 30 seconds which if you were to sit there right now and wait 30 seconds it would feel like an eternity so i can only imagine what it would sound like to listen to that so i tend to chop those bits out but since the last episode, I haven't actually seen all that much. Um, let me check. Because I have my letterbox open here. I I can't fully remember what I... I think The Fifth Element was the last thing I spoke about. I had seen a lot of stuff. Well, I suppose I saw a few things. There was nothing new. Actually, it was something new. I'm kind of talking out my arse here. Um, I've seen two new movies since that episode, which was on, what, the 13th? Maybe two weeks ago, anyway. Um, and I think a few days after that, I saw a load. But then I went all last week without watching a single movie. So I had been catching up on... I watched a couple episodes of Ozark. I, w- I want to get back through Happy. Happy was a series that I started fucking... How many years ago now? Two, three years ago. And I remember really enjoying it. And I got about two episodes, three episodes in. I thought, this is deadly. But then I just put it down for whatever reason. I think I was watching Netflix on my tablet at the time before I kind of had a, a TV set up in my room and stuff like that. So... I kind of was it was more accessible in that sense I never really sat down to watch it so I've been slowly catching up on that again because it kind of fucking ticks all the boxes for me it's violent funny crazy kind of has a no holds barred attitude it's set at Christmas in New York mostly at night and you've got Italian Mike Patton music playing in the first episode and it's by the lads or lad was it two of them? I feel like it was two of them I'm not sure but the people <coughs> behind Crank so it has that level of mad energy, violent, crazy shit. And even though I'm not really a fan of Patton Oswalt, people seem to love me. He never worked for me. Um, he's actually quite good in it. So it's it, it works in that sense. But I've, I don't know what it is. It's like Peaky Blinders. I've been saying this to people for fucking years now. I watched the first three episodes of Peaky Blinders and each episode I thought, this is really good. But I just never got hooked on it. I never stuck with it. And, and I have my house of cards. Where I I watched the first episode, I thought this is fucking deadly. It just felt properly David Fincher kind of like this is exactly what I want to watch right now stuff. 
But then it took me about a year to watch season one. I don't know what it was. I just every time I watched an episode, I said that was deadly. But I just never had the drive to go back to it. And Happy's kind of the same, even though like it ticks all the boxes. Peaky Blinders ticks all the boxes. How's the cars ticked all the boxes? But I just find myself getting through it really slowly. And I started a uh, the fuck's it called? Um. Oh, I'll never remember the fucking name of this. Why can't I remember the name of this? Narcos. Fucking hell. Don't know why that left my head there. I watched the first episode of Narcos and thought, this is fucking great. But I just didn't have the drive to watch uh, more. I, I will. Don't know fucking when. I actually want to start watching those uh, very unglamorous Italian crime stuff as well. Uh, like Gamora. And I have <coughs> a DVD. I used to have the movie. Um, but I, I remember getting screeners sent out for Romanzo Criminale, the series, and I never actually got around to watching it because I fucking got a pile of stuff that time, which I still fucking watch most of. Um, but they've actually... See, I saw the Gamora movie years ago, and it's just one of the most unglamorous, ugly, gritty fucking crime movies ever. It's not even necessarily like full of violence and bad shit happening. It's just dour, and these people aren't at all cool. Like, you look at fucking... Al Capone, which I'm actually kind of going to move on to as well in a minute. But you look at Al Capone in nearly any movies. Like, the guy's charismatic and fun to watch. And you kind of like seeing the hedonistic gangster lifestyle and the fucking mad violence, whatever else. Even though he's a piece of shit, you kind of you kind of like being in his company. You can say that about any, any of them. You look at The Sopranos. Like, The Sopranos, all the monsters and that, they're all bad people. But you're with them for so long and they, they do funny and interesting things that you kind of like them and you're kind of rooting for them I mean, that's just general anti-hero stuff but with Gamora you're just sitting there going every one of these people is a piece of shit and anyone who isn't a piece of shit is just going to get sucked in and have their lives ruined by all these pieces of shit and I just remember watching it going that was just dour and bleak and I enjoyed it but I couldn't see myself rushing back to watch it again but then this series came out and everything I've heard about it is that it's absolutely one of the best fucking series out there. And if you thought the movie was dour and miserable. Then this is something fucking even worse. Um, But there is a kind of. More exciting version of that. There's a movie I saw a few years ago. Which I loved called Subura. And. It was actually the movie that. Effectively got. The director the job directing Sicario 2. I fucking fully forgot his name. Uh, I'm not going to sit here for a minute. Trying to remember it though. But. Or Stefan something. Stefan. Shifran or some fucking mad name like that. He uh he made Sabura and I think producers or whoever else saw it and said, Okay, we want you for Sicario too. You can you can capture the atmosphere we want you to go for. And he did, because I, I think Sicario 2 is brilliant. Um I think Sicario one sets such a fucking high bar with the people behind it. You've got fucking Roger Deacons behind the camera and Denis Villeneuve directing it and that cast, I mean the cast carried over Bar Emily Watson. But fucking hell, like that, that movie's a, a cut above the rest really and then you have this sequel which has huge shoes to fill I think a lot of people were unfair to that movie because I think they were expecting essentially Sicario 2 they just wanted a continuation of that but what they got was these characters more in familiar territory that they're in you're seeing it from their point of view because they're kind of just side characters in the first movie this is Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin I'm talking about and you're kind of seeing their business and how they go on about things and the levels that they'll go to to do stuff and i thought it was just fucking brilliantly done it's really gripping it's really well made there's some fucking shocking shit in that movie really surprising 
there's a bit in a supermarket near the start which I was sitting there going I don't know how the fuck they got away with this if that, if that movie came out 20 years ago it would actually be flat out banned that's all I'll say about that but this director anyway he made Sabura which a lot of people likened to Gamora and I remember watching it going it's like Gamora if, if there was glamour so you have the ugly horrible fucking people and situations but it has a really stylish almost Nick Reffin drive-esque atmospheric look to it, it still has gritty it's like handheld really like nasty realistic kind of stuff going on all about political corruption and criminal corruption and thieves and the different tiers of crime and all this kind of stuff so you have like like low level criminals and then big political criminals and whatever else what you'd expect in nearly any Italian crime related fucking movie or show but this that band M83 which I think were friends with the director I remember just hearing the music just sounded really nice and atmospheric and ambient I thought this is deadly and then I heard that song if I can remember the name of it uh, Midnight something I can't remember it's, it's a song that as soon as you hear the first note you're going to go okay I know exactly what that is but it's M83 it's probably if you were to go on Spotify or YouTube and look them up it's probably the first song other than that song <clears throat> I'm not even going to remember the names most of the names I don't remember I just know the song to hear but the, there was this documentary that came out which I think at this stage has lost its appeal um, I'm kind of branching off here but I'll quickly talk about this there was a documentary that came out in 2010 either 2010 11 or 12 around that time called The Art of Flight and it was following snowboarders and kind of extreme sports stuff like that it was all really HD slow motion extreme sports and at the time like you look at any fucking TV in a shop when, they were, when a 50 inch was the absolute biggest you could get and they were showing clips in this movie because it's so awe-inspiringly good looking with the cinematography and everything else and i remember there was a big thing about it because they had an m83 song it's called outro that's actually the name of the song they used to play over the trailer and clips and stuff like that and it was just amazing and when you think about it now everyone is doing that everyone has the access to these cameras and they're all recording the most amazing shit you scroll through instagram if you look at enough videos on instagram they'll pop up in your recommendations so if you look at some savage slow motion extreme sports or anything like that you'll get thousands literally thousands of videos similar and it kind of sucks out the the power active flight ones had i mean at the time there was nothing like it and it was just fucking incredible but looking at it now it's like yeah it's pretty good but i've seen incredible shit on youtube and stuff now so that's kind of unfortunate but anyway that song outro I think it plays a couple of times in this movie. But I realised that Sabura, All the music in the movie is just M83. And it's, some of it is singles that I think that were... Coming out that year that I think he used. And some of them are older songs everyone knew. But it just works so well with the movie. And that's something that I think kind of made it stand out for me. Because even it, it manages to keep the ugly, gritty shit that Gamora had. And still be stylish. Because I, I mean, I like stylish stuff anyway. I'm not exactly style over substance. Uh, sometimes that can be I mean if you look at Only God Forgives or something like that like it doesn't have a huge amount of substance but I still love it because uh, the style is strong enough to override the, the moments that don't quite work mostly Christian Scott Thomas but um, I think this movie did a perfect balance of that but I discovered obviously like I said there's a Gamora series there's Romanzo Criminale which is the 70s side of it in a modern perspective but then I discovered there's actually a Sabura series as well and 
from what I can tell, Netflix bought the rights to Sabura, but they've since removed the movie. And I think they actually produced the series. So you had the series there, but not the movie. And I think they actually tie into each other pretty significantly. So it's weird that they fucking do that. But that's just two other shows in the fucking plethora of shows I still have to fucking get through. Like I said, I'm catching up on Happy. I started season two of Afterlife. Ricky Gervais' new show. Uh, well, not exactly a new show. It's the second season of it, but you know what I mean. And I've currently only watched six, or sorry, four out of the six episodes that were released. Because he tends to do that with a series. He always has a six season or six episode season, which I think does wonders for it. Because I mean, like the Office and the Extras, they they never overstayed their welcome. They had two six episode seasons and then a special. Now, The Office, in fairness, had that spin-off movie, The Life on the Road, and I actually kind of look at that as a a sort of a thing like the tick of it and the way they had In the Loop, where it's, you're following Malcolm Tucker, but all the other characters are different. That's the same actors that were playing him in the original tick of it series. I kind of look at that the same, because the way David Brent ends in the series, I think, is a satisfying conclusion, and it works really well. And they kind of revert him back to being a twat for the movie and I don't think it works I know why they did it because obviously that's the part they remember from the show and they want to see more of him being a goon and playing his music but I think that that would be the kind of shite he'd do while the documentary would have been running in the original office show I don't think it would have I don't believe that's how his character would have ended up so I just look at that as its own side this is a phrase I heard before side cool I can't remember where I heard it why I heard it I half hate it but it makes sense so it's kind of like a side sequel, sort of <coughs> branching off into its own timeline nearly. That's that's one way you could look at it. Um, he hasn't done it like that with the uh, with extras yet. But he did the same with Derek. Derek has a two season. Actually, fuck, that's another series that I fucking started on the tablet and never finished. Was Derek. I watched the first season and I remember really enjoying it. And then season two, I think I watched about two episodes of it and I never finished it. I don't fucking know why. And there's a, a Christmas special. Usually Christmas specials is what a, his his extra episode is. Um, this one I imagine might have a Christmas special I don't know how it's probably his most dour show I've actually not watched Life Too Short either that was one that I only saw pretty much the Liam Neeson clip which is apparently the best part of it and it is quite funny but I don't know I've seen, I think I've probably have seen it too many times pop up and everyone says it's the funniest thing ever that it might have sucked a bit of the comedy out it still is funny though don't get me wrong but with this series I don't know if no, I obviously didn't talk about this before but I have an issue with it. I'm going to talk about the positives first. Because. Right it's well written. I think he handles drama brilliantly. If you've seen extras or you've seen. The office. He's able to have. First of all cringe comedy. This one has no cringe comedy. This is one thing I noticed about it. With the office. Like there's parts of the office that have actually had me nearly sick with the cringe. Uh, In a sort of peep show kind of way. Because I mean when you look at peep show. They're both such awful. Like they're actually two of the worst people ever. When you look, when you think about it, they're both atrociously bad people. But you're with them for so long, and they're so funny, and you're get you're inside their head, so you know their process. It just makes it hilarious to kind of shite that they're getting up to. But the cringe in that more just comes from oh god, I can only imagine myself in that position. It's so awkward. Or in betweeners, where you now watching in betweeners at this age is still funny. It's still cringy. But that came out when I was. 17 so it was way more relatable back then and the cringe is more like oh shit I can imagine this shit happening to me at a party or going out with the lads and having something like this happen to be so embarrassing 
doesn't really have that effect nowadays really uh, but it still is very funny but the the stuff that happens in the office because like the David Brown character you get you get a real good look into his character when he's around the other co-workers he's a fucking annoying prick like because he's trying too hard to be friends with everyone and wants to be the life of the party and an entertainer but when you get those moments with him on his own it's just sad and you kind of really feel for the guy so when things start going wrong for that character you you're in pain with the cringe because it's actually something that will affect this character in peep show the worst thing in the world could happen to them and then it'll just cut the credits the next week it's never mentioned again with this it has an actual impact on the character so the it's a very different more visceral cringe and extras had that to a degree i suppose they had the celebrity element which kind of added a bit of comedy to it like th- taking the piss out of themselves kind of thing les dennis and fucking uh or whatever his name is keith chegwin and uh no they're not the same person i always mix these two fucking people up Les Dennis, that's who I'm thinking of. Um, I think. I'm go- well, fucking hell. He's in extras anyway, you know the cut when you see him. But the likes of him, David Bowie, particularly Patrick Stewart, which is one of my absolute favourite ones. Because he's just such a dirty old pervert and it's just solid gold. And it's it's one of those things, especially the bloopers for that scene, are just endlessly funny. Pretty much any Ricky Gervais thing has great extras. I haven't even, or sorry, uh great bloopers i haven't seen any bloopers for afterlife though because it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself the same way um and i think f- not frank what's it called i think derek sort of started going for this shift in his type of comedy where there's awkward kind of funny things happening but there's very little consequence it's kind of all forgotten about very quickly now derek it's a different atmosphere altogether with his character cap hilkenton is actually more of the sort of voice of reason and that that he'd normally be in the likes of extras and whatever else the more cynical type and Carp Hilkenden is a fucking really good actor I remember seeing the first season of that and thinking he's actually fucking totally genuine here they have him looking a bit daft but he's fucking there's one scene where there's like some old woman or no some old woman who like leaves a ring to a nurse because she's like oh you took care of me all these years but the people in the family are whingy about it and they want to get the ring back and he just gives them a bollocking and it's just it's the kind of bollocking that you if it was in an American series, it'd be something really over the top or something like that. and A big scene would be made. But he just does it really realistically. And it's something you could imagine awkwardly overhearing. And I just remember that being really fucking effective. Um, but that's the thing. Like I said, he, when he does drama, he does it really fucking well. And with Afterlife, it's probably his most miserable subject. It's basically Ricky Gervais' wife has passed away from cancer. And he's like irredeem not irredeemable that's not the word uh irreparably mentally and emotionally damaged from it to the point where he's completely suicidal and doesn't give a fuck about life or anything and i mean obviously with season two he even said this himself at the gloves that obviously he survives uh the first season at least um but it's more a case of seeing where the drama takes him and what way his life has changed if he's more positive or if he's more negative or what and it does a good job of this but there's something about the show the drama is all really good but almost every scene of drama is accompanied by swelling dramatic music which i know it kind of packs the punch but like when you do it with every dramatic scene it kind of kills it if you had lots of dramatic scenes like just cobbled together that were like done well and then one of them has this swelling emotional music it would i think it would pack a much stronger punch than if every scene has it that's one thing the comedy in it as i said derek doesn't lend itself to cringe comedy it's more just humorous scenarios 
he has a friend in it. I cannot for the life of me remember this guy's name, but he's effectively playing the same character in Afterlife where he's just some local weirdo who likes to be in the newspaper. And most of the stuff he says is hilarious, but it feels scripted. As hilarious as it is, it feels scripted. And the comedy in this is more... It's like it tries to be crude and shocking. It can be funny. This particularly a line he has in one of the first episodes is absolutely hilarious. But there's something about it. It, it doesn't quite land the way it should. I think I have laughed a couple of times, but I'm more interested in the drama. And the, the levity does work with it. But what, what's wrong with the show is at half an hour each or per episode, like with the extras and or with extras, I should say, people go mad when you say the extras because they're cons. But extras and the office have so much going on in 30 minutes per episode like loads going on that when you look at afterlife it feels like very little is actually happening he's kind of just going from scene to scene chatting to people whereas it doesn't feel like there's much structure to each episode it sort of ends the same way each time um and i know it's more it's the, the whole point of the show is to kind of go for the more I suppose visceral drama side of it and the 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 pushing of positivity and whatever else, which which does work really well. So this is the thing; it's hard to knock the show because, I mean, he's a brilliant actor. He can do drama like fucking nothing, uh, or like nobody. I don't know what way that phrase is coming out, but you know what I mean. He's fucking great at drama, uh, as well as he can do comedy. And I think that the the mix is a bit off in this, and it feels like that it should be an hour per episode. And I feel it's almost as if they've chopped out all the other story bits. And it's like they go, okay, here's the funny bit. Here's the dramatic bit. Let's just string all those bits together and cut out all the fat. So while it is emotional and powerful and while it can be quite funny, it doesn't feel like it has too much else going for it. And again, that sounds like more of a more of a critique than it actually is because I do really enjoy the show. It's just, uh, I don't know. It doesn't hit me the same way as... Uh, the office and extras did they were just a cut above the rest which is a phrase i've used twice now and again i keep pointing out these things that nobody would have noticed but i noticed them so i have to point them out or, or i'll die it's probably uh, some sort of deep-rooted ocd or something but um no i've i've two episodes left of that and i will watch them probably tonight um and i hope to actually have them watch before this episode was being recorded but fucking things happen most importantly though the thing i really wanted to talk about which i'm going to talk about now before i go on because i have a couple of movies i want to review later and a few things i want to talk about i'm just looking at my my list here um well actually i'll quickly mention uh hyena one of my movies of i'm pretty sure i had it my my yeah i did my, my top 100 movies of the decade uh just one of the most nasty mean-spirited ugly but amazing just so fucking well made crime movies from England um, by Jared Johnson who made another great serial killer movie called Tony and he's currently working on a movie called Muscle which I know little about and I'm happy about that all I know is it's a black and white drama about a bodybuilder that's as far as I know I don't know if it's a comedy a crime a drama well obviously I mentioned drama but I don't know if it's solely a drama I know that's just that's what he's working on but this one, I've, I've already talked about it in detail, so I'm not going to do it now. But the reason I bring it up is that it is now available on Amazon Prime. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch it for free. I will say, though, there's some rough fucking stuff in it. So if you're not really uh, capable for certain acts of violence or uh, 
just horrible human trafficking and brutal murder and drugs and just mean ugly horrible bad people then it might not be up your alley but if you're into all those things then this is a big big thumbs up for me because the fucking the atmosphere the music the look of the movie the performance is fucking hell peter, peter fernando and stephen graham are outstanding stephen graham's more a side character he's really fucking good in the scenes he's in but peter fernando like i mean this is this is more reason that if the oscars mattered at all he'd have been considered at least but they don't matter so fuck them uh, although next year's Oscars is going to be fucking weird. If that ever fucking goes... Well, it will go ahead, but... I mean... Slim fucking pickings. They're going to really have to... Actually, no. This kind of... This ties in. I think they were going to... Say they were going to make certain online movies eligible. For this year only. Which is stupid because... I mean, like, the idea of them doing it is great. But just for this year only. What if next year something equally as good as last year comes out online? They're going to just nullify that bullshit. Um... But yeah, oh, I mentioned Al Capone earlier. Yeah, a trailer for Fonzo came out, which I think is now being changed to Capone, um, because presumably no one knows what Fonzo is. But Fonzo is a nickname or for Al Capone, and Tom Hardy's playing him now. I, I watched a bit of the teaser. It's one of those things where I'm kind of already sold on it. But I don't know. There's something about him. I think maybe Stephen Graham has just set the bar for Al Capone performances. But seeing Tom Hardy in it, it he, I'm very aware he's made up. Like, De Niro looked a bit odd. He got a bit heavy for the movie and he's bawling in it and whatever else. But he still looked normal, I suppose. But something about Tom Hardy in it, he looks very like I'm a bad guy. I've got bad guy outfits and bad guy face on. There's something about it. I still want to see it because I trust Tom Hardy in virtually anything. And I'd like to see a good proper movie dedicated to Al Capone I'm trying to figure out what time period it's going to be um, but yeah that's that's one to look out for as well uh, I was going to mention that I watched all of Gareth Evans new show Gangs of London now I have the feeling first of all th- there hasn't been much advertising in regards to this show Sky have obviously been pushing it a lot because it's it's part made by sky so it's on sky atlantic it's on sky plus sky player all these fucking things and it's partly made by cinemax as well who i've mentioned before when i talked about quarry they were behind that show which they need to get their fucking fist out of their arse and fucking make another series of and give logan marshall green something to do because after that and fucking what's it called upgrade i still don't see him doing it now so get him back please um they're responsible for this show as well and i've described this show accurately as gritty british london crime gangster show but with the raid level action now people don't realize that it's actually directed by gareth evans who made the raid so he made boat raid movies and now he's doing a fucking full nine part series although he only directed two episodes from what i can see but, uh, and Xavier Gens, I think that's how you say his name, and Corin Hardy had done the, the other episodes, and they did a fucking great job. I had a feeling he might have directed the action stuff still, still because it's very much him. Um, but the basic idea of it is, it's Joe Cole, who I first saw in, I actually saw him at the start of Peaky Blinders, but he's in Green Room, and he was in a really fucking grim movie that came out, was it last year? Either last year or the year before. 
think it's called A Prayer for the Dying, if I'm getting the name of that right. But it's based on a real guy from Liverpool who got arrested in Thailand, I think it was. And it's just him in a Thai prison getting into the boxing scheme to get a bit of a, a leg up and not have to fucking have his life completely ruined in there. But um, I remember it's just an ugly, nasty fucking prison movie. Oh, you want to watch after watching that fucking movie. Like, when you see the, the sort of L.A. big prison movies, you're like, obviously, yeah, there's fucking prison bumming and fucking people getting shanked and all sorts of fucking stuff that no one fucking consents to. But at least, I mean, the cells are clean. <laughs> it looks a bit fucking clean. But, Jesus, this place is just like a shitty shower and that's all the fucking they have to stay in. It's like, okay, you all sleep in a big pile on the ground and that's all you have and then you have to batter each other every day in Thai boxing so it's a fucking it's a rough movie but it's really good and he puts in a blistering performance in that in this he plays a gangster named Sean Wallace and his dad is played by none other than legendary Irishman and Owlad Colin Meany now this isn't a spoiler to say because every trailer has shown this and it happens in the first 10 minutes of the show but Colin Meany is killed and he's the leader of this I suppose corrupt he's a corrupt businessman basically but he's like the leader of crime in London everyone looks up to him he's sort of the kingpin and obviously with his murder Sean Wallace his son who now has big big fucking shoes to fill wants to basically make a fucking name for himself and find the person who did it and avenge his dad and it has a very unoriginal idea (laughs) I suppose the, I mean, this is the thing about the show. It's it, it's that's the kind of driving force of. But then you have all the gangs. He kind of puts a block on any kind of gang activity and uh, any deals and all this kind of stuff, and that sets off ro- war within all these different gangs and all kinds of shit. It's basically just savage excuses for great action scenes. The, I suppose I'll say the problem first. The problem with the show is that the characters aren't hugely interesting. They're all fairly two dimensional. They don't they don't have me that interested I mean there's one character uh, named Elliot who's basically the lead character he's arguably the most interesting and there are sort of interesting things about the other characters but it's kind of I don't know I think when it comes to the writing of the show that's not where it's strong point is and that was the same with the Raid movies the the first Raid movie is like situational writing is fucking outstanding Especially for tension. There's a great bit in the first Raid movie where two people have to hide out in a wall. And some lads think that they might be doing it. So they start stabbing the wall with machetes. Nearly getting the lads and potentially actually getting them. And it just ramps up tension so well. And it's just the kind of situation just sitting there going, fuck, I never would have thought of that. They're brilliant. But I mean, the dialogue in the Raid isn't exactly great. The, The general plot of the movie is as basic as you can get. The second movie borrows a lot from all the kind of underground undercover cop movies you've seen a million times before so it doesn't really add anything new but it's more the situations the action scenes the spectacle all of that is brilliant and original and that's where this show's strengths are because the writing isn't great the characters aren't exactly 3d it's not it's not exactly clever right like especially after watching better cost Saul. like better cost Saul has just set a bar for writing on tv shows it is beyond good and I, I genuinely i can't trust people who don't like it they have to be some level of fucking crazy because it is perfect but this show right is not a strong point but the action 
this is where it's really fucking strong because Garth Ennis as I say he did the first episode on episode 5 episode 5 in particular is just I have never in all of my life on TV seen anything like this action has always been there on TV look at Game of Thrones the, the absolute spectacle you see on that show it's usually episode 9 or 8 or 9 per series where they'd get a certain director in and they'd be like okay you're going to do an hour long ultra fucking mad battle scene and it'll be fucking incredible and it'll just be like nothing you've ever seen and like I said HBO they set a bar and they actually own Cinemax but first of all this is set in England which is where you don't tend to see a lot of British action you see tons of British crime a lot of them are cheaply made and shite this is obviously has a budget behind it but the, the scale of action is like nothing I've seen on first of all British television but British just in, in a British movie altogether unbelievable action set pieces incredible choreography if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff as well he puts in so much fucking work for something that would probably just appear simple if you were with your mates now at a camera you'd be like oh yeah I just did this and that but it's never that simple he has so much technique and creativity when it comes to action scenes and he even throws action into stuff you don't expect like his last movie Apostle which is a folk horror movie he still has sort of moments of action in it that work like a martial arts movie almost and it it never feels out of place or stupid particularly not here and i think a lot of people might be concerned about that they might go how are you going to do british crime and have this level of martial arts and this level of action and make it work well watch it and you'll see he makes it work if you're going into that show looking for a riveting plot you're not going to get it you're going to get some very good twists and turns and you're going to be like oh shit what's going to happen next there's great tension in it for sure but I think story-wise, it's not exactly the strongest. Action, though, fucking hell. The first episode was really fucking amazing. Second and third and fourth were like really good as well. But that fifth episode is just so fucking well directed, so chaotic and brutal and miserable. And it's just there's no there's very little glamour in the fucking action in this. And this is what's interesting about the raid and this as well. He he's talked about Gareth Evans has talked about how. He kind of goes to his dad for approval when it comes to violence in his movies. Because obviously he loves ultra-violence. His dad likes really violent movies too. But his dad kind of see, he, he sees a line between mean-spirited and gratuitous and exploitative. And just really violent. And I think in all of The Raid too, as violent as that movie is, there was one shot the dad wasn't happy with and he still kept it in. That's where someone gets shot point-blank in the face with a shotgun. And it just lingers on the bodies lying there with his head hanging open. He felt that was gratuitous but Garrett Evans himself said well it kind of suits what this character's like and how merciless he is and all these kind of things. That's very similar here. You can tell where he scrapes the line of when it's going to be just horror movie violence. And he still manages to keep it fun. So you're thrilled by the action set pieces but it still manages to make you wince going oh fuck that someone basically just swallowed an entire pint glass. So He's very good at what he does there. As I said, Xavier Gens and Corin Hardy, they both did a very fucking good job. I'm particularly surprised about Gens because I haven't watched The Divide. I've wanted to see it for years. I saw one clip of it where someone gets their throat cut with a bean can lid, which is one of the scalliest fucking things I've ever seen. And I can agree it's very possible. I remember hearing about that like more when I saw it, thinking, going, eh, that's a bit silly. But I sliced my thumb on one last year and fuck me that they actually cut like fucking knives through butter. So, yeah very nasty fucking scene 
But he did a movie that it got lumped in with the sort of new French extremity movie. So when you look at the likes of Martyrs and Switchblade Romance and Inside, this got lumped in there. And I don't understand why, because I think it's absolutely irredeemably fucking shite. And it's a movie called Frontiers. I'm not even going to get into it, but it's a very silly movie where some criminals on the run end up hiding out in a house that happens to be run by crazed cannibalistic neo-Nazi fucking psychos and it's so over the top and so stupid uh there's one great scene which is the first scene i ever saw and i thought oh man i have to see this movie where some guy gets thrown on top of a circular saw on a table and i thought geez this movie has no holes barred i can't wait to watch it that's the best part every other scene in the movie is dog shit so avoid that but the fact he's managed to bounce back and actually direct some fucking really good episodes of this it fully has me believing that this guy will be able to do some really good stuff when it gets to making movies again at least i hope because he did he did the more horror elements of this because like i said i mean when you look at the two raid movies they're fucking violent this show really pushes some boundaries for violence on tv it is constantly brutal nothing shied away from it doesn't feel like they're cutting corners at all when it has to show violence it shows it fully and horribly and like i said it does so without pushing it too far now i don't mind too far but like i said He's kind of creative and smart in the way he's handling the gratuity of the violence. So this show I can fully recommend. If you're a fan of the Raid movies, this is an essential watch. As I said, it's available fucking everywhere. Now TV and whatever else have it. It's very handy to fucking get your hands on. Um, If you like crime movies, yeah, it'll scratch the itch. Especially if you like British crime stuff. It's probably one of the better British crime things that isn't just fucking a triple barrel title with some fucking crap cockney rhyming slang and dave allen looking at you with his fucking stupid bald head and ring so it's interesting to get something that's actually quite strong although if we're going to talk about good british crime that's come out lately the gentleman is now on dvd blu-ray and 4k and i fucking love that film give that a watch if you haven't watched it yet but fucking hell i, I don't know who produced it uh, or distributed it but quite the fucking cover shite and i've said this a million times before i talked about how the kingsman cover is just the four cunts standing there go to we're in the kingsman which has nothing interesting about it. It's not appealing at all. I ended up luckily finding the HMV exclusive cover for the Kingsman, which is like the weapons cabinet that has like a pair of loafers and uh, or what's the fucking shoes? If I can't even remember them now. Um, something not brogues or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember. They they have this very posh idea, but it's like a, a weapons cabinet with like an umbrella, a pen, a knife, gun, grenades, shoes, all the all the classy like cufflinks, all that kind of shit. And it's a great cover and it sets the tone of the movie. Hopefully the gentleman will get a similar cover. There's a really nice teaser poster for it. Which actually is a great fucking cover. And it's a, a glass of whiskey. And the block of ice in it is actually a, a gun made of ice. I think that's really fucking smart and cool. So hopefully they'll actually release a proper cover with something like that. Or something similar. Um, but yeah, Gangs of London. It's a, it's It's solid. If you go about the, in terms of plot and drama, it's solid. It's well acted. It's fine. The thrills are there. The twists are there. It's just it's not groundbreaking on that sense. But in terms of action, it is riveting. And I highly, highly fucking recommend it. It's so addictive to watch. The only reason I didn't binge it all in one night is that I had to actually go to sleep and get up. So had this been a couple of months ago, I would have just watched it nine hours in one go. Or nine and a half hours. Because the first episode is a feature-length 90-minute episode. And it works. And it all just works so fucking well. It's so stylish. It's tons of fun. Highly, highly recommend it. 
Now, there's a director that I don't think I've talked about before on this, but I've, I've written reviews for well, one of his movies, actually. He, he's highly uh, regarded in the very, very independent movie world. Uh, his name is Charles Band, and he did a reasonably entertaining, not great, very low-budget sci-fi kind of detective movie in the 80s called Trancers. And he's responsible for the Puppet Master movies, which they've done, what, six of them now? Plus the one S. Craig Zahler was responsible for, which was disappointing because he's so good, you know, I thought that was dog shit. Um, but Charles Band, he's, I mean, in recent years, he's just been making really fucking uninteresting shite, ultra cheap. I mean, literally the only budget goes on the absolute prostitutes that he fucking gets to stand in there in his movies. He doesn't give a fuck anymore. He's already released a movie, which, if you want to talk about exploitation, this is a fucking farce. It's called, I have the name of it here, uh, Corona Zombies, I think it's called. Oh no, did I fucking take the name there right? I'd actually think when I made my note, I just mentioned the title of the other movie he stole from. So, I think it's called Corona Zombies, I'll check that now in a sec to be absolutely sure. But... The idea of it is it's some blatant prostitute that he has hired sitting in a living room who is getting phone calls about a zombie outbreak and seeing all the shite being announced on TV. But the whole movie is just intercut with scenes from Hell of the Living Dead, an early 80s really gory Italian zombie movie. And first of all, I don't know how he's ensued for this because he's literally just lifting... It's a highlight reel of fucking scenes of that movie where it's... It's it's like a, an anthology, but the wraparound story is just some absolute gay bag sitting in a living room, whinging on the phone, and practically looking at the camera the whole time because she can't fucking act. That's somehow a movie now, but it's just the most ridiculous fucking cash grab, exploitation fucking idea I've ever seen, and it's a disaster. And I hope he fails. Um, but yeah, hang on, I'll get I'll get the actual name of that now. Because I just remember seeing it just thinking like how have they made this so quickly? How could they even have time? Did they just make a zombie movie and change the name? No, they barely even made a movie. They just had him fucking around in his house and edited in a real movie over it. And I don't know how he got away with doing it, but yeah, it's called Corona Zombies. It's an hour long and it came out this year, boasting a whopping two point five out of ten on IMDb, which as we know doesn't mean anything. But the poster is so fucking bad. It just looks like a load of cheap, shitty zombie images you saw some from some fucking PlayStation 1 game. With a bad copy of the Cannibal Holocaust font. Everything about this is just cheap and shite. It has a picture of like hand sanitizer and toilet roll. Like it's trying to be that. Uh, it's really trying hard to be like George A. Romero level political commentary about zombies. But it does not work at all. I've, I've only watched the trailer and I've, I want my time back. I cannot believe he managed to get away with this. Surely he's going to get sued. He has to. I doubt he has the rights to that fucking movie. Because um, the chap's a fucking wash up. Like there's no way he does. So avoid Corona Zombies if you fucking can. And I'm not just talking about the absolute junkies on the train. I'm talking about this fucking movie. So there's my uh, hopeful bit of information for the day. Now to have something less hopeful somewhat. Um, so AMC Cinemas in the UK, which are also responsible for Odeon Cinemas, have now decided that they're not... They're, they're banning Universal movies from showing in their theatres when they reopen. The reason for that is, is because three weeks ago... Well, actually, no, it could be about a month ago. 
when this was released but whatever way the numbers add up with box office in three weeks the new Trolls World Tour movie which looks like getting a golf cleat to the bollocks has made more money in that three weeks than the first movie did in five months in the cinema and if that isn't one of the most damning things for the future of cinema I don't know what the fuck is because this shows that not only even though this movie the day it went out will be available on torrent sites easily piratable this still had enough people buying it <clears throat> obviously people who especially with a kids movie might be less tech savvy and might not be arsed in a lot on torrents and whatever else and just decided fuck it I'll buy it for them it's whatever 10 quid and then it shuts them up for a couple of hours and they own it on the computer they can draw them whenever they want most of these fucking things you can buy in the stream movies on now you have built into your TV so it's more convenient than ever I think for a time the idea of owning digital copies of stuff I mean if you're gonna own a physical I mean everyone still downloads shit but if you're going to own a physical copy and get a digital code with it that was a very niche market but I think nowadays because actually I say that because most people wouldn't really watch stuff on their computer but now that all this shit's built into TVs and people have fucking media players that have Netflix and Prime and built in streamers and all kinds of shit on it it's now easier than ever to do it so I'm not surprised people bought Trolls for a moment I was but to think that they've made that much money even with piracy readily available is is dangerous because I mean who knows like I said Wonder Woman is planning to release on streaming whether it does I don't know but that's that's going to be the final nail really apparently though uh well actually no i was was still talking about the cinemas that fucking have now decided so they're they're whingy and complaining now that universal are going to be doing simultaneous releases with cinemas and streaming and they're crying about it saying no we want we want fucking only to be shown in the cinemas which i mean look at fucking what netflix did with the irishman and uncut gems just do both have a fucking small run of Uncle James and the Irishman. They'll be packed. You have guaranteed packed cinemas for a month or two. And then, okay, yeah, people are going to watch it online then. But don't just completely turn your back on it. And now Cineworld have done the same. They're turning their back on it now. On Universal movies. Now Universal have apparently claimed that they are still going to try show trolls in the cinema when everything goes back to normal. My bollocks, is anyone going to go to that? Because, I mean, it's going to be hard enough getting people back in the cinema. But getting them back in the cinema to see something that they have at home is very, very fucking unlikely. Unless it's like a classic movie. And I don't think most parents are going to let their kids know that's in the cinema. Because what parent wants to sit through that shit in a big screen where they can't busy themselves doing anything else? So, I find it stupid. I think Universe or Cineworld should have said, okay, if Odin aren't going to show your fucking movies, we will. We'll take control of that. And we'll get all the people in. So when Odeon are sitting there going. Shit we should have shown that movie. While Cineworld have all the people coming to see it. They'd be sorted. But no they just followed suit. And said oh yeah we're not showing our, your fucking movies either. It's like you're a twat. This just reminds me of that shit that happened with the Hateful Eight. When I spent ages going. Why the fuck is there no listings for Hateful Eight here in Cineworld. What's going on. And then I found out it was some big issue about. They wanted to swap around the Hateful Eight. With the Force Awakens. And there was all kinds of fucking nonsense going on and whinging and then they just said right we're not going to show your movie at all so i ended up having to see it in the savoy which was cool i i think for the last few years i've seen every tarantino movie in a, a different screen in a special screen as well like i got to see uh what's my time of hollywood and the stella and 
well, Django's in the normal cinemas, but it was a premiere, so I had loads of free drinking it. But I think it was a big mistake for them to just completely dismiss Universal. They should maybe protest, but by not showing their fucking movies at all, it's just going to make it even harder for them to fucking stay open. And it's only pushing people further away from the cinema. It's pushing people more towards streaming. Especially if Universal are going to be releasing kids movies and shit like that. Which are probably the strongest fucking box office. That's why. Anything that's 12s and under is the strongest box office. And that's why R-rated movies suffer. Now like I said you get the odd one. Dare, or not Daredevil. Deadpool and fucking Logan and shit like that. Obviously they're going to make some fucking money. But the average R-rated movie won't. So they always go for the younger audience. And Universal is doing that. And Universal is going to reap the fucking reward. Because of that. So. It's not really a lose-lose situation, or it's not really a lose situation anyway for Universal, but for cinemas it is. I think it's very fucking dangerous times. I've mentioned in the last couple of podcasts now, I think it's only going to be for big movies. I don't think you're going to see a lot of window. I mean, okay, independent movies, the likes of Invisible Man and The Hunt that I came out, while they are mainstream enough to be in mainstream cinemas, they're still independently made movies. They've less of a shot. They're probably going to go straight to fucking streaming. And that's going to give a bollocking to those fucking kind of movies. I mean, th- there is a lot of benefit. Like, this is the thing. It's not. I mean, as a purist, let's say, someone who collects physical media and loves going to the cinema, it's easy to turn my nose up at streaming and online stuff. But, I mean, I still support it because it's fucking brilliant. And the cinema has become less and less fun over the years, unless I'm at a premiere, unless I'm at a festival, or unless I'm at a press screening. It generally is just full of loud, annoying bastards. So streaming does offer a lot it offers you the movies you want to see at a reasonable price in your own gaff and most tv most houses now probably have a decent enough tv and a good internet connection that's probably privilege or something like that of me to say but it's it's true a lot of people do so it is handy it is convenient for people to be able to do that so i love that it's actually happening and this is the thing quality is strong which i'm actually going to quickly jump back to something i said to start when i was talking about netflix and catching up on happy and things like that Ozark, the reason I stopped watching Ozark is because the quality is actually lowered like Netflix said they do it, I'm pretty sure because it's never looked that pixelated before and I don't want to watch that show pixelated because it's a good looking show and it would be a shame to do so but in general with streaming, and that's the thing, this is a scary thing about Torrance as well Like in the early days of Torrance they were shit quality, the whole kind of allure of it was like oh I'm getting to see this while it's still in the cinema or whatever yeah but you were watching a garbage quality fucking cam rip it's like you're you're shitting yourself out of a fucking good experience watching a movie but the thing that scares these people nowadays is that you can watch 4k quality fucking rips of movies now and i think that just makes it all the more dangerous for well first of all physical media but for cinemas as well because like i said the same let's say invisible man the cinemas are still open invisible man would be online in hd available so it is risky fucking times for all these things um but there is a a slight silver lining um from some sources i have heard that physical media particularly in the likes of terror records and their online sales has skyrocketed and shit's going out of stock because people are buying so much and i think that because of People being trapped indoors. The only thing they can buy is stuff online. People like movies. People might get back into collecting. There's lots of boutique label stuff coming out now. As well as the fact that. As I said. Like torrenting and all is amazing for quality and whatever else. 
but you could be waiting weeks and weeks to fucking download something if there's not people seeding it if the bandwidth is shite if you don't have the fucking room to do it and if you don't have the know-how to do it so people are probably just going to go I'm going to buy stuff and lo and behold people are out there buying stuff now because it's much easier for them to do that they can have their Netflix their Prime their now Disney Plus sometimes Shudder they've access to all these things but now it's just like okay I can just go buy shit now I've nothing else to do I'm going to be in my house I've already got a Blu-ray player because of a PS4 let's just fucking stock up on movies again and I think this could even though it's potential maybe not death of cinema but a fucking serious kneecap in a cinema there's going to fucking hopefully be a surge in uh, physical media again and that'll become a thing because I mean look at fucking vinyl vinyl is back and bigger than fucking ever nearly <laughs> I mean obviously maybe not ever because all they have back then is vinyl but cunts are going out of the way and actually buying vinyls now and you're seeing albums that probably don't deserve to be on vinyl modern ones that are getting proper vinyl LP releases so I mean there still is chance people reckon it could happen with video I don't know if it'll happen with video now unless they can have HD quality tape that you can watch where because I mean a lot of these LPs that are coming out now would be probably pressed in higher quality I don't really know the process uh, I actually only saw a video of a fucking vinyl record being made the other day and it was one of the most fascinating things ever so I don't know unless they can figure out a way to do HD tape I don't see VHS taking over as much I do see VHS packaging because I know HMV were doing their packaging they did a retro collection of VHS stuff or actual stuff but with VHS covers so there's a bit of hope with that but I don't know I think I think there's a chance now Blu-ray is going to make a comeback physical media in general big thumbs up if it does but I'd be just happy if all of these things would thrive because I mean it is sad my biggest passion in the world is movies I mean this podcast in, in my first episode I said I talk about music and games and all sorts, but I've barely touched on that although I will I'm going to talk about The Last of Us on Sunday or Monday whenever I record the next episode because there's some big fucking shit show going on with that uh, I won't spoil anything about it though because there are full spoilers out there and I've heard stuff but um, what's going on with that game at the moment is it's put a fucking nail in the coffin of that series ever having a third game and ugly ugly shit is going on and a lot of greed and a lot of fucking nastiness and all sorts um but yeah like movies are my biggest passion i talk about them literally all the time and i kind of like i grew up in a lucky time i've talked about this i did an article actually i like to push this article because i think uh, it's quite relatable for people who are my age but just robbing movies off my older brothers all their dvd collections sneaking in when they didn't know seeing all these fucking crazy japanese movies i should not have been watching at age 13 all those exciting things they don't happen anymore so I kind of got there at the very end. I got to have half my life experience in physical media, cinema at its best. Well, its best for my age, I suppose. I got to see the transition from film to digital. I got to see the transition from video to DVD to Blu-ray to now 4K, even though I still am prefer Blu-ray. Um, and just seeing just the, the rise in TV. You get to see all these things evolve and change. But I get to miss out on the things I like most about it. I want physical media to be strong and to really be out there again and have people interested. I want the cinema to be good again and have people interested and brought in. Not just shitty fucking crap thrown together CGI movie every couple of weeks just to make some money. I want it to be an event. There used to be a thing, especially in this country, the way we'd say it is go to the pictures. That used to be a big fucking thing, a big deal to go to the cinema. I mean, I guess I'm part of the problem in the sense that it means dick all now because I just go into town 
because of an unlimited card see two or three movies at a time like it's nothing and just go home there's no real event to it anymore that's why i like going to the premieres in particular because it actually feels like something especially when it's early so it really feels like i'm actually at a real event and particularly if it's a tarantino movie or something really special and big like that it makes it even better but those things are kind of gone and i don't know i'm I'm known for being a, a cunt for nostalgia so that's just me in general but it is sad to see my biggest passion in the world kind of fall wayside and people not care about it as much and people start talking about like oh you can just download it or whatever it's like i mean it's still happen with music but music again probably the best thing to happen in music is streaming <laughs> in a way because i'd say 75 percent of the music i have on spotify i probably never would have heard of had i not got spotify so there is benefit there's pros and cons to all this shit but i'd like if it could still thrive in the same way um i mean art's the same people i still i prefer hand-drawn art over digital stuff any fucking day of the week and i have friends for digital artists as well and their stuff they do is phenomenal i love it there's a lot of video game design stuff and character model stuff and it's class but i always just prefer hand-drawn stuff and that's the same way of posters like if you look at drew strews and stuff like that the posters he did with paint and with his hands are a thousand times better than stuff you see done digitally the digital stuff can look class but it's not the same it doesn't have the same punch to it the way hand-drawn and painted stuff is and that's just the same with uh with movies i suppose so anyway i'm completely going off topic here but the point is hopefully physical media can get strong again hopefully cinemas can come back to the way they once were i mean fuck knows with all this social distancing shite like cinemas are gonna have to be half capacity might not be economically viable fuck knows it's all it's all up in the air at the moment in terms of how this is gonna go but I don't know, I'm not going to end on that fucking grim fucking note. So I'm going to talk about two movies, which ironically are kind of grim in a way. Um, well, I'll quickly, because like I said, I, I like to talk about all the shit that I've watched since last time. So I'm going to be very fucking brief with these. I should note that, or should mention, I have fully updated my Cracked Real Facebook page. Like I said, I always fucking end up watching about 30 movies and then i have to upload all the posters and all the reviews and whatever else but i've uploaded a fuckload of reviews all the posters i got the best ones i could find or my favorite ones because that was the thing i wanted to do with the posters on the website or sorry on the facebook page is where i choose fan art that i like or original posters that i like and i wouldn't just go oh, here's a dvd cover whatever unless of course it was a good cover because i think the monkey shines blu-ray cover i really like so i have that up there but i have all those up i have them all reviewed or well, most of them um so if you want to see my actual written reviews for a lot of the shit that i've talked about on this show some of them i haven't because I've, I've gone deep into them on the show like the likes of um well one of them one of them i'm going to talk about here I've, i went into a deep review of written so i'm not going to really go deep here but something like uh what was that one i hated max Payne. like i didn't bother writing a review for that because i already said everything i needed to say on this show so it's kind of a balance between the two but if you want to read some of the stuff i say it's all the letterbox reviews and all that updated on facebook i still haven't really updated the instagram page with reviews i don't think i fucking bought my arse to be honest um but i do i want to start having competitions again but they're again harder to do a lot of the stuff that i would get sent out is coming from the uk and they might not be up and running and whatever the fuck but anyway all that stuff is updated there go give that a look i'm gonna briefly run through these so these are all available as written reviews on the cracked uh, facebook page and my letterbox page but i'm going to just quickly talk about them so the first will be 1990 the bronx warriors in 1982 i was sold on this on the fact that it's a warriors ripoff 
made by Italians set in New York meant to be ultra violent and has Fred Williamson in it everything I could ever want it uh cinematography wise is incredible and there's a couple of cool scenes in it with violence mostly Fred Williamson kicking ass but to be honest it's fucking boring very little goes on in it not nearly as interesting as it should be the best part is probably the artwork I wouldn't be in too much of a rush to watch it again but there's a great scene at the start where all the gangs are meeting up and they happen to just find some mad cunt out playing jazz drums on his own in the middle of a fucking dock so they just say let's film him while we have these gangs meet up and it just works brilliant for the movie so I thought it was good I know well it's fine fine is the perfect word for that it has its moments but it is boring so just watch the normal warriors again instead uh, with the magic of editing I've removed the fucking the driest throat in human history there because I actually talked for quite a long time there without any drink of water so I fucking desperately needed one but I'm going to move on to the other movie so yeah Bronx Warriors eh, that's my review uh, rewatch Starship Troopers haven't seen it in maybe 10 oh, maybe more maybe 15 years or something like that and I fucking loved it almost better this time around I saw it so many times growing up and I loved it it was so violent and crazy and funny and weird but obviously a lot of the I suppose uh, political commentary would have gone over my head much like Robocop when I was younger Robocop was just cool ultra violent robot man but seeing it older now you kind of see the kind of the shit they take the piss out of especially with American satire and whatnot. satirical elements meant nothing to me back then they're much stronger this time it's a brilliantly written movie the effects are light years ahead of their time and I'd love to see a mainstream movie just be as violent as this again Paul Verhoeven's violence is like no other he's fucking superb amazing on blu-ray as well seriously good fucking print i'm surprised that they'll probably end up doing a 4k scan at some stage and look even better but amazed at how good this looked still holds up as one of my favorite movies of the 90s outstanding give it a look uh unfortunately we lost a legendary actor mr brian dennehy who you might recognize first off from a part of a song in south park the movie which is probably the first time i heard his name and kind of knew who he was but First thing I probably saw him in was First Blood. And he is just a great villain in that. He's just realistic. He's not even evil. He's just an asshole. That's what kind of makes him so interesting. Um, And he's, he's just... Every role I've seen him in, he's been fucking fantastic. Unfortunately, he passed away there at the age of 82, I think he was. Ripe old fucking age anyway, so he did well. Um, But I watched a movie by Peter Greenaway called The Belly of an Architect. And I've been wanting to see this movie for years seriously for fucking years because i f- absolutely love the soundtrack to right here's the weird thing right i saw peter greenaway's movie the cook the thief the wife and her lover or the cook the thief his wife and her lover i think that's how you say it and uh because we learned about it in college and a friend of mine peter larkin who by the way he has his own review page or if you want to call it review it's more a film theorists essay page uh that's where we're te- checking out i'm gonna actually get the name of it here it's uh, Peter Larkin at or dot wordpress.com I think it's dot com I can't remember how fucking wordpress works I know it's a bit of a pain in the ass let me just yeah so Peter Larkin dot wordpress.com um, seriously in-depth really good like dissections of movies and essays and stuff like that and it's really interesting he recently did one about a criminally underrated movie called A Simple Plan which is kind of like Sam Raimi's I don't like saying answer to a lot of movies and reviews and stuff say answer to this but his uh, I suppose answer to Fargo with uh, 
amazing performance from Billy Bob Thornton and Bill Paxton. So give that a look, uh, but also give his stuff a read. But he, someone I met in college who just was crazy about this movie and we started learning about it in college and about colour and technique and all. And I remember just being blown away by the movie and the cinematography was like nothing I'd ever fucking seen in my life. And it, almost every room was colour-coded and there's times where it's like there's secret like cuts that happen while the camera's tracking and the colours just change and it's phenomenal how they fucking do it. Uh, it's a nasty movie too. It's kind of ugly, operatic, weird, strange movie. I loved it, but there's a song in it, this really amazing kind of emotional piano sort of ambient no, not piano, I suppose ambient sort of music. And it's actually used in one of my favourite documentaries, Man on Wire. And it's used throughout that movie and it suits it so well. And I remember just looking up after I saw The Cook, Steve, A Wife and a Lover. I wanted to look up that song and find out who did it. And it was Michael Nyman who also did the score for uh, Gattaca, which is one of the best scores I've ever heard. Um, but this song, I ended up just finding this album for In the Belly of an Architect or The Belly of an Architect. And it was this guy, Wim Mertens. And I just remember hearing the music on. The music in this is incredible lots of piano and kind of synthesizer stuff and it just i thought it was phenomenal so for years and years i wanted to see this movie and i thought all right no better excuse to watch it now than as a sort of memorial piece for uh for brian denny and i can confirm it is fairly fascinating the thing about peter greenaway's stuff is well now cook the thief his wife and a lover is probably for lack of a better word one of his more accessible ones even though it's full of fucking graphic sex and murder and shitting and all kinds of stuff uh like it's a, it's a nasty mean movie but it's visual and incredible and it's probably more relatable in the sense that it's kind of a crime movie just done in a very artistic way from what i can tell a lot of the stuff peter greenaway does is very historical this chap knows history like the back of his fucking hand and art and the belly of an architect is very heavily like all the dialogue is about art and history and philosophy and stuff like that. Stuff that I don't generally care about. So I didn't find it relatable character wise. I mean the, the dramatic elements yeah, are totally relatable. Brian Downey is fantastic in it. But it's more just. I was more just taken with the visuals in it are incredible. Like how he st- structures all his shots are fucking unbelievable. And I suppose performances and the things that are actually happening. The, the plot of the movie always had me interested. But it's more what they're talking about. And from what I could tell, all those other movies are, well, most of his other movies are quite similar. Where they're about art, they're set in very historical times, and they're things that generally wouldn't really interest me, but he makes them riveting. And I mentioned this before with, uh, uh, I think I might have mentioned it in my review that I wrote up, but Paul Thomas Anderson does the same with Phantom Thread. Phantom Thread manages to be fascinating in a setting that I have no interest in. I don't give a bollocks about was it early 50s London or is even is it even that late I can't even remember but olden timey London fucking dressmaking that is the least interesting thing in the world to me yet he made it fascinating to watch with great performances cinematography atmosphere and music he just blends these things so well and Peter Greenaway does the same thing I don't love in the or the belly of an architect but I does things I love about it um and I'd fully recommend it if that's the kind of thing you're interested in it's not exactly a fucking saturday night romp of a movie but you'll have a lot of fun with it um if you're into the visual side of stuff that, that'll appeal to you a lot if you do want to have actual real crazy fun though then the next movie i'm going to talk about writing wrongs which is also known as 
what the fuck is it called? Angel something? I can't remember because I know there's a, an American title for it, which I, I don't like. Uh, Writing Wrongs is kind of a weird one. If I can actually get the fucking name to come up. That's the problem with trying to type one-handed on a keyboard that's behind me. <laughs> I'm just spelling everything completely wrong. There we go. So, uh, Yun Biao is in it. First of all, collaborator with the likes of Sammo Hung and Jackie Chan. They've done several fucking movies together. Lots I still haven't even seen. But I've seen bits of and they're just absolutely fucking fascinating. Uh, but this is Corey Yoon and, who directed it. And let me just check the fucking American name of this movie. Because I know it's just a typical, you've heard it a million times before. Above the Law. That's what it was called. So it was actually recut in America. Uh, under that title. And... I think they went for a more happier sort of third act, whereas this keeps a more bitter, violent third act. But it was the second or third movie with Cynthia Rothrock, because she got her start in Hong Kong action movies, and she's just fucking class. But just the level of action in this movie is fucking nuts. It's crazy over the top, full of legitimate jaw-dropping stunts, amazing fight choreography, and you can tell as well, it's just the camera is far back. You're able to see everything that's going on. It's like a fucking, they always say it's like a ballet, but it is. It's like a ballet of fucking beating the shit out of each other. And I had a lot of fucking fun with it. Um, You notice I'm not going into detail plot-wise of these movies, but fuck it, I, I cannot be fucked. Look it up. Uh, <laughs> I know that's the worst things a reviewer can say. But like I said, I want to keep this one a bit short and put a bit more focus on the, the two new releases I want to talk about. But... Yeah, writing wrongs. If you can get your hands on a copy, definitely do. The fucking opening action scene will set the tone for you. It is fucking tremendous fucking fun. And it's quite funny as well. But this is the thing. There's something about Chinese and Hong Kong comedy that doesn't quite grab me. Like, Japanese stuff can be quite similar too. And Korean. Basically, like, uh, there's so many different levels to types of Asian comedy that some work and some don't. Korean works really well at me. They know how to blend really fucking like jarring violence and intensity with comedy Takeshi Kitano does something similar with Japanese comedy where he, he believes that I think I mentioned this before that violence and comedy are the same thing and they should always surprise you and he's right his movies tend to do that you're sitting there trying to relax and suddenly horrendous violence or you're sitting there really tense and then suddenly really funny with Hong Kong comedy it's very slapstick and goofy and sometimes I find that really hard to adjust to but when it works, it works. And this movie makes it work well. So, Writing Wrongs from 1986. Definitely give that a look. Um, and how many others I got here? Oh, so, two more before I get on to the, the main ones. So, one of them, uh, I've had the DVD of this for years and years and years. And I finally got around to watching it. A Walter Hill movie. So, I think by letterbox stats, points or whatever it is. Walter Hill is definitely at the top. I think I've watched nearly all his movies. <laughs> Just this year. Or I've watched a majority of them. I still want to watch more. I might end up in watching his entire catalogue this year. Because I love all his movies. Actually no I don't. Uh, there's two movies I fucking hate. But I love most of his movies. And I enjoy the others. And this one was fucking tremendous. It's uh, basically another telling of the story of Jesse James. Obviously embellished somewhat. But it has most iconically four sets of real brothers in it. So you have... I try fucking remember all the names there. So Stacy Keach and James Keach, I think is the name, and they play Jesse James and I can't remember what the other older James brother is, but the James brothers. 
you have Randy Quaid and Dennis Quaid. I don't remember their characters' names. And you have David Cardine and Keith Cardine. And I think there's another Cardine in it who's like a cousin. And there's another brother who's in a smaller role and a daughter. And there's lots of family going on. And then you have... I'll never remember their fucking name. It's Christopher Guest anyway, who you know from the likes of This Is Spinal Tap and A Mighty Wind and Best in Show and whatever else. And his brother, whose name I don't remember. Uh, let's find out. But the four of them anyway are... See, it's weird. The, the guests, I expected to have a bigger part in it, considering who they play. They play Bob Ford and his brother. But um, let's even get the name here. Nicholas Guest. Uh, so the two of them, they're kind of at the side while the others are. It's, it's more about their outlaw antics and whatever else. And it's just typical Walter Hill. It's really stylish. The music in it is fucking great. Roy Cooter does the music and it's tremendous. Really fucking good. A uh, lot of familiar faces you'd see as well with typical Walter Hill stuff. One of the most notable being James Ramar, who was weird looking in a strange knife fight scene. But it's just one of those movies that's just really solid, good, old school, classic western movie with clear influence from the Wild Bunch. The bloody shootouts in it are so similar. And I just thought it was fucking thrilling. And it's tremendous. And Second Sight have released a Blu-ray over here. However, it kind of has that the same as the DVD cover I have, where it's just six lads on a horse on the front. It's kind of grand. But the German Blu-ray actually has the original poster, which is fucking deadly. So I'm going to go out of my way to buy that now. Um, but yeah, Long Riders, you pretty much know exactly what you're getting into. It's fucking just tough, good, mean, gritty, class fucking action western with Walter Hill's name on it. You literally can't ask for more than that. So Long Riders, definitely give it a look. The next movie I'm going to spend very fucking little time on because I, it doesn't deserve any more time. A few years ago in a pub, one of the lads told me about a short story by Stephen King called Dolan's Cadillac. And the way he described it, it sounded deadly. And I thought, man, that would make a fucking great movie or a short movie or something. So I ended up looking it up and it turns out it was a movie with Christian Slater in it. And I thought, eh. And that's probably the right reaction to have because... I mean, Christian Slater's gone way off the fucking deep end. The only interesting thing he's done is with fucking Lars von Trier. And it's a small part in fucking Infomaniac. But he hasn't done anything interesting for years. This movie really makes me question, was he ever good? Same with Wes Bentley, who is the other character in this, who is awful. When he's good in other movies, which is not actually a lot when you think about it, he's alright. But this, this is probably him at his worst. Um... He's really hammy in P2, but it works for the character. In this, there's no excuse. It is bad acting, bad thriller, bad drama, poorly executed idea. Such a smart idea too, and they just make a bollocks of it. Awful fucking dialogue. I don't know how accurate it is to the actual story, but gee, it's so shitty. Everything about this pissed me off. It's a waste of nice 35mm film that they just wiped their hall with and released it into cinemas absolutely irredeemably fucking terrible movie that's my review of that you can read the full thing on the Cracked Real Facebook page or you can read it on my letterbox page which is k underscore shields 92 so you can find me there read all that shit there but the next two movies I'm going to still briefly talk about but I'm going to go a little bit more in depth Um, I finally got around to watching Jay and Silent Bob reboot which I was reluctant about because I am a huge Kevin Smith fan but in the last few years, he's done a lot of shite. 
and I've been very worried about this movie because I know the first James on a Bob movie was almost a parody of all the movies he made up until that point and it had a very early 2000s feel which is still totally nostalgic and upon rewatch a couple of years ago it held up big time I fucking loved it all the references work it's nice it's fun it's total comfort viewing road movies in general are comfort viewing but that one in particular I watched a lot when I was growing up so I absolutely adore that film this one tries to recapture that magic and fails I think it feels cheap it feels crowdfunded and the basic idea is it's James and Bob they're older now obviously and they find out that they're going to reboot the Jane Son and Bob movie that they fought so hard to go against in the original Jane Son and Bob Strike Back movie. But this movie is, while it's both a sequel, kind of a reboot and kind of a remake and all the kind of things that takes the piss out of it, it it sort of is a meta joke in that sense. But the whole idea is it's like he tried to get all the VSK Universe people back together just to have their own little bit part except Jeff Anderson for some reason with no explanation I have no idea why he didn't fucking appear in this movie um, but he got them all back maybe it was a scheduling thing I don't know um, but it just feels like he he got them in there just to be like remember them doesn't really add to it that much the type of humour doesn't land the same way feels a lot more forced it feels it's winking way too hard at the camera if you look at James Bond Strike Back it feels like an actual movie with now and then they kind of no, they break the wall several times in that when people are like, who the fuck are watching James on a Bob movie? And they kind of look at the camera. Like, it's subtle in that sense, but this whole movie feels like that they know they're in a movie. Uh, you also have Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, and her friends, who are all very fucking annoying. And there's this whole story about the fact that it's actually Jay's daughter and he's trying to reconnect to her and all these fucking things come together. And it just... I don't know. When it works, it does. Because there are moments it is kind of funny. It is nice to be with all these characters again. It's nice to get the nostalgia of seeing these characters again. There are funny lines. But the situations they get into are poorly written. I don't give a fuck about any of the side characters. I think... Oh, by the way, it's an ugly looking movie. This is the thing. All those other movies are shot on film. This is shot on cheap digital. And it just doesn't look good. For someone who's actually quite visually strong with his movies too, it's strange because all his early movies have a distinct look. Red State in particular looked fucking tremendous. So this one just feels cobbled together. It feels like he didn't even, like it feels like a fan film. It feels, like I said, crowdfunded. It doesn't feel like this is a studio who said we want you to make this movie. And it's unfortunate. And I'd hate to think that he has to rely on crowdfunding for now on because he's a very talented guy. He just happens to be blowing his fucking ideas with silly mistakes and like i've talked about this before he makes his movies based on shitty conversations he had in his podcast the idea of tusk came up just him and uh, i think scott moser talking shite and they just said wouldn't that be great for me in a movie and then they did but the movie started well and ended up garbage i think yoga hoses was another one he came up with on the spot and that was a disaster he wants to do a movie called moose jaws which is basically the plot of jaws except with a moose to be extra canadian also sounds like a fucking dreadful idea that again might work as a five minute short but a 90 minute movie he just can't hack it anymore he should really look back on all his old movies and see what made them so special and try to do something with them do i hate this movie not at all i think it has its moments it's worth a look if you're a fan but only then if you're not a fan of jane silent bob or any kevin smith movie this movie is garbage it's fucking nothing but 
references and fuck all actually going on. And it's actually not that funny unless you know what they're talking about half the time. So if you're going into this blind, you will hate this movie. But if you're going in the way I did, where I'm a big fan of Kevin Smith, but I went in cautiously optimistic, then you'll get something from it. You won't get a lot, but you'll get something from it. So that's my review of Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. And finally, I'm going to review an Irish film, or at least something that's part Irish. I think the the director and writer are Irish. I think the producers might have been from Belgium or something, because I think some of it was shot there, if I'm correct in saying so. But it is a strange kind of sci-fi, kind of mystery, thriller, horror movie. Psychological drama, horror, whatever you want to call it. Called Vivarium. Now, that apparently has some kind of Latin meaning. I forget what it is. And I don't really give much of a fuck. But you can Google it. It has something to do with living or finding your home or some shite. But the general idea is... Jesse Eisenberg and Imogen Poots are a young couple who are living in Bray or somewhere like somewhere Wicklow or Wexford around that kind of area and they decide they want to go buy a house so they stop off at a what do you call him realtor real estate agent and it's that weird cunt who's in the end of the fucking world and a few other things he'd always recognise if I can't remember his name but he's actually quite good in this and he decides I'm going to bring you out to this new place called Yonder where we build a whole lot of houses where it's, I think, what's their fucking log, slogan? Something like, it's feels it's really close by, but not too far. Or some fucking, I don't remember. But the idea is he brings them out to this show house and shows them around, but suddenly he disappears. And they're like, all right, that was weird, let's leave. And they find themselves unable to leave. Every time they drive around the corner, they end up back at the same house, no matter where they go. And it then creates an endless loop of psychological torture where they now have to look after a child which has appeared out of nowhere who is looks at them as a parental figures but is also tormenting them in every way possible that's about as much as i want to talk about with this movie without wrecking it um as i mentioned in the review that i have as i said on letterbox and the facebook page it's satisfying to see something this weird come out of ireland because it's usually gangland movies glorifying scumbags or it's just heavy drama and bleak fucking like i watched this the same night or at least not long after that ordinary people came out which i haven't watched but apparently it's just a really just tough fucking drama lenny abrams lenny abramson is doing it so it's gonna be fairly rough um but that tends to be what they go for now there's very little action or fun or horror like that most of the horror just tends to be grimy irish countryside shite and it's not like just do some fun shit. Do a good fucking slasher in Dublin City. Make something interesting. This movie goes for something interesting. You can see though where they've cut corners. Now a friend of mine who worked on the film has told me that they had some ideas for crazy hellish nightmare imagery that they couldn't do. Like the budgets didn't allow for it. And that was one of the selling points apparently. Um, But it's unfortunate that they didn't get to really expand on that because you can see where they've cut corners in this movie. Because certain effects in it look cheap they don't look good mostly green screen and background which i suppose in a way does help with the whole weird nightmare worlds that they're going for i suppose but it doesn't uh it doesn't land as well as it maybe should but when the effects are good they're fucking really good they're handled really well it's it's actually a nice looking movie despite the, the weirdness of it it's feels like you know, people have made comparisons to black mirror i can i can't see that particularly the 
the uh, Black Museum episode where it's kind of just feels like ideas that they had that didn't quite come together as full episodes or like that they they didn't think would work as a full episode or that might not be as technology heavy as they would like it to be so they just crammed it in there that's what this feels like um but it more so feels like an episode of inside number nine because the house that they live in is number nine and they can't escape and this is realistically a half an hour movie or half an hour episode of something that they've just dragged out to 90 minutes it's unfortunate because the idea is good but fucking 90 minutes of more or less the same thing can get a little tedious i think it's creative uh, i don't think it hasn't it's done anything i haven't seen before um and it's entertaining and it's fun but it's just i wouldn't say i'm giving it a free pass because it's irish i'm just i'm very interested that it's irish because it's got it's doing something that irish movies don't do so that was satisfying but in general it's fine it's what i consider a perfect middling three-star movie you'll enjoy it it's not exactly boring even though it does stretch its idea and it's creative and it's fun to see something like that come out of this country so Javarium gets a thumbs up from me even though i don't rate things by thumbs up but it still gets a thumbs up um and yeah that's my i don't actually i want to just check the time on this podcast because i said i'd do it short and let's see how right i was hey hour 25 minutes that's not too bad that's pretty fucking bad actually but still I, I nearly had it under an hour there but i had to go talking about other shite didn't i but yeah that's today's episode um i am planning to have another one out over the weekend so i probably might record it sunday it could be out monday or i might record it monday it will be out tuesday haven't decided yet but i want to get into a few other things i had loads on the list here and uh i'll probably see a lot of shit over the weekend anyway because what the fuck else am i gonna do i've actually got all the blu-rays i've got fucking like over 20 blu-rays probably maybe more that have already arrived i've more arriving over the weekend hopefully more arriving next week and i'm gonna order more today because payday and fuck it we may as well so i'll talk about all those um until then look after yourself stay inside although there's new measures coming out today i don't know what they're going to be but look after yourself anyway and uh you're all absolute cons goodbye